carbon is something that we've lost sight of, mm. and um, the the um, yeah the, the germination of plant seed with a little bit of carbon in the form like I powder actually powder that charcoal yeah. and just put it in and um, it is halving the germination time and it's getting so close to a hundred percent germination that it's just absolutely remarkable. You put the biochar in with with a potting soil make, or, or no, do you I actually just, do it the potting soil? I make the yeah have my ground ready. Yep. Just make my little drills in it. Yep. And just sprinkle the dust just with my finger. Yeah. Just really? sprinkle the dust, put the seed in, pull the soil back over it and that's it. Hmm. How long have you been doing that? Uh, only about five or six years. Oh, I wish nice. I'd have known. My dad used to do it with watermelons, and, and uh, it was you know, he'd always save the you know, wood from the open fire or the charcoal from the open fire. And he grew the most remarkable watermelons. But there was two schools of thought one was that um, he was getting the um, this flavor and the sweetness from the Sulphur, he used to dust the, um, the plants with sulphur dust. Mm -hmm. And um, it, you know, there was sort of fair, Dad reckoned it had more to do with the charcoal than the sulphur, but he used both. And because he produced such, you know, beautiful quality, he wasn't going to change it for anyone. He was, you know, there were the two things that he used uh, for his watermelons. And um, I ran out of, I had a bag of, of um, dusting sulphur and I don't know, it had to be at least 20 years and I was just about out and I ordered another bag and I picked it up about a fortnight ago so if this one lasts me as long but it's something that I always do with uh, all of the cucurbits, I make sure that they're, yeah. they're well, getting the sulphur. Well I noticed because where we're growing now in the northern rivers it didn't take off until he started putting gypsum. Yeah. It, yeah. I like um, the catalyst. Yeah. Finally, I call it the catalyst. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. I just find with gypsum in this country um, that, you know, clay is very close to the surface until you, you know, get a few years down the track when you, you, know, you can get build five or six inches of topsoil out of it uh, just simply with the preparation. But what I found with the gypsum was that after probably 12 months, the colloids became almost disappeared. It became, you know, just single grains again and very quickly compacted again. Aha! Uh -huh. So good. that was something that, you know, that I'd learned a long time ago about gypsum when it was first made available. But yes, it did um, create um, a lot better water penetration in our soil, but it very quickly was gone. Um, in as much as it would go back to the fine, the, the fine grains. Oh, so you'd rather put sulphur powder then? Would compact again, you know, very quickly. Well, I found that the biochar is totally over, overcoming that, and uh, or the recompaction. But I think people who um, who went into aeration machinery um, very quickly learnt that if they used the two. They might be, you know, twelve months behind getting the first, getting the, the initial yeah. uh, improvement that they were getting from deep ripping, but they had to keep on doing it 
because it was recompacting. Yeah. Where they used the um, the preps only, they didn't have to. You know, they just have to keep their regular applications of the preps up. So I think it is the bio life in the soil that is doing the uh, the aeration and making the oxygen available in the soil and the the colloids there that are holding the moisture and that whole you know soil structure mm-hmm. regime is being maintained by the life in the soil, not by the chemical reaction to gypsum or lime or anything else. Yeah, and um, that's what excites me about the, the biochar is that. The, the hardest clay becomes colloid in you know, six or eight months. It's just, you can break it up in your hand, I'll show you up there. So if you grind it or just put the coal right into the soil? Oh, well, it, probably, I think they're sort of um, reckoning um, a maximum of about three eight, you know, sort of something like a, a pea size, or mm-hmm. if you can you know, put it through um, like the hammer mill with what I used to put it through and I could you know, get the the size pretty regular. But I don't mind, I've made up a, a ram yeah. on, a, on a pipe and... Uh, yeah, that's what he would do with his crystals for the 501. Just, yeah, 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 well that yeah. Up, up there if you've yeah, seen the... I did. The, you've yeah. seen the burner up there. Yeah, like, yeah well, it was because I was doing biochar when I was planting those things. Oh, when I planted uh, carrots and beetroot. Last week, I broke up some pine and, and put in their drills and just looking under the... And what about brown coal? I know a lot of litter dye, you know, which yeah. is, is, people are getting tremendous response from that. The brown coal, then we went to... Um, oh dear, I'm not sure which university farm it was. Anyway, it was in Victoria and they had their 49 plots like they were seven replications of seven seven so each product had um had the you know the seven replication and the beds which we didn't know you know what they'd been treated with but the day we were there the um jolly um Cabbage white butterfly, you know, the cabbage white butterfly. Yeah, the cabbage moss we call it. Yeah, cabbage moss, yeah. They were in the air everywhere, and there was just these seven beds in one area um, where there was no, not one, you know, you could stand there for 10 minutes and not one would land. not one of the uh, white butterflies would land on the cabbage. It was cabbage in all of the plots. And um, they, you know, all of the other six things that they were trialling were, well, there were a range of things. But anyway, the important thing was that it was the brown coal dust in those seven beds. And they were using, they said that it would work out about two tonnes of the acre. So it'd be about five tons of the hectare of a waste product, the brown coal dust, mm-hmm. and um, obviously it's very much like our um, oh, what do we call the, the stuff that's up on Murrundi Mountain, which was actually coal that was formed in fresh water, not in salt water. Yeah, I think that's what linardite is. Is this? Yeah, yeah, the brown coal is. Yeah, that. and um, um, but anyway, these 
these moths were landing on the other six test plots and test plot, and um, not on the plots where the um, where the brown coal dust had been used. And it was just remarkable. That was, you know, all of them had their specific treatment, but it was the ones that that the moths just weren't, or the butterfly just weren't interested in landing on, were those where the soil had been treated with the brown coal. So, yeah, that is... Would you say that there's a place for the application in biodynamics using... Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Like, there's just a place for anything that, you know, is derived through natural, or well, through nature, and isn't something that's synthetically produced. Yeah. Like, I, I, I honestly think that, um, you know, when I look at... at um, nitrogen and calcium, the combination in calcium nitrate. I think that there's room to use calcium nitrate because it is, you know, two of calcium to one of nitrogen and the nitrogen is mainly the transporter of the calcium. And for, you know, a high quality product, it is just fascinating what you can do with it and I think that we should open our minds enough to use things like that. Um, where necessary or if necessary to improve the